The thought that came to mind was a prophecy, actually. And I'm sure you've at least heard about it. The sign of Jonah was a prediction of the Messiah. As many things in the Old Testament were predictions about the Messiah. And many, uh, well, probably we could say all, in the Old Testament were a type of Jesus in some way. And that's true of Jonah, as well as many other individuals. And so, just to review a couple of key points from the story of Jonah, in chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And a glimpse into what he felt from chapter 2, verse 6. He said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Now that's an interesting uh, use of the term forever. It was only three days. But when the Bible uses forever, people often misinterpret it because of their preconceived ideas, <clears throat> forever means as long as that situation can exist. And sometimes it means as long as you live. But if you're in hellfire, you're not going to live very long. And if you're in heaven, you'll live eternally. So, you know, you can use forever in all those settings if you understand it right. And uh, here it only means three days. But for him, it probably felt like forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. I was listening to uh, a popular uh, teacher. They have him on every day on uh, the uh, radio station downtown. I suppose it was that text that led him to think that uh, Jonah died and was resurrected, but I'm not convinced of that. It's, it's I suppose, a possibility. But uh, anyway, I can see where he got that idea from. It's a rough experience that he's describing there. Nobody would want to go through that experience. And then in verse 10, Chapter 2, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So three days later, he was vomited out on the dry land. Now let's suppose we didn't have the New Testament. Would you be able to figure that this had anything to do with Jesus? <laughs> this kind of reveals, you know, we've been studying about the Bible and how to understand the Bible that God gives a little bit of light, then he gives some more, and then he gives some more. And we are greatly blessed because we have so much assistance to figure out what it's talking about. But this is the reason why this happened to Jonah, to become a prophecy that would have something to do with Jesus. And Jonah himself 
was a type of Jesus, and Jesus refers to that in the text that we read. So going to Matthew 12, 38 to 40, it says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, if you, if you think about that request, it's pretty close to ridiculous. I mean, they can't do what Jesus is doing. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's uh, making bread out of five loaves and, and fish. And, uh, and here they are asking for a sign. Really, what they were asking is make us believe. Do something that will make us believe and we'll believe. But Jesus said, no, that's not the way it works. <clears throat> but he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. That's the New Testament spelling of Jonah. So he says, there is a sign that, that you will have. And that sign has to do with Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he picks and, and really goes on to talk about another one, but we won't uh, say much about that. He contrasts the fact that Nineveh repented and the Jewish nation was not repenting. The preaching of Jonah was better received by the heathen than it was by the so-called people of God. A very serious contrast. Now, it, it is true when you study about Nineveh that after about 40 more years, uh, they forgot about Jonah's preaching and they got wicked enough that their city got destroyed. But it was postponed because they repented of their sins and the Jewish nation was not repenting as a whole anyway or as an organization, they were not repenting, and they never did. There were many individuals that repented and were forgiven later when this prophecy was completely demonstrated. Uh, there were many that did turn to follow Jesus. But <clears throat> here we have a very specific prophecy that Jonah was in the belly of the whale, or the big fish, whichever is correct, and uh, for three days, and so Jesus was in the heart of the earth. Now, it doesn't say grave, but it says he was in the heart of the earth for three uh, days and three nights. This was not the only time that this was addressed. Over in Matthew 16, 1 through 4, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. They just couldn't get rid of that request. 
to keep asking for a sign. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Now we have a different saying today, and I'm not sure I can say it, but we we talk about it in the terms of uh, someone that's sailing the ocean. Rosie in the morning, sailors take warning. Rosie at night, sailors delight. That's right. <laughs> it's exactly the same, just a different way of putting it than what they did back then. And it does prove itself true. I haven't kept track, but I would say generally, it proves itself true. That if it is red at night, you're gonna have rain or difficult weather. And if it's red in the morning, you're gonna have a nice day. Opposite, Opposite excuse me, yeah. Anyway, the way it's supposed to be. <clears throat> oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? And we're told that there were tears in his voice when he spoke these strong rebukes to the Jews and, and the leaders especially. But you notice uh, one of the signs he was talking about was that Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights. But then he, he uh, adds something here. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now, he doesn't repeat in this setting the three days and three nights, but he puts their minds back to what he had given them previously. That's the sign I gave you. That's what is going to tell you who the Messiah is. Over in John chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou dost these things? <laughs> Again, there's a mystery here. But they're looking for evidence to condemn him, and therefore they keep asking for the sign. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now here's another uh, use of the three days. Not only Jonah, but now he's speaking more plainly, and he's saying, well, it explains it in a minute, but he's saying, when... Uh, I'm in the heart of the earth for three days and I come out of the grave, then that's the sign that will tell you who I am. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? So Satan twisted their mind to think he was talking about the temple. 
Now, I don't know whether they just made believe they thought that that's what Jesus was talking about, or whether they thought they could make him look ridiculous by giving it that interpretation. But, uh, you know, it would, it would be possible for Jesus to build that temple in less than three days. He could create it out of nothing. But that wasn't what he was talking about. But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now the disciples were a lot better than the Jews, the leaders of the Jews. They <clears throat> believed it after it happened. But they didn't believe it before it happened. Now that's a warning for us. Are there any things that we don't believe that God has explained to us, but we don't believe it before it happens? Well, if we at least believe it afterward, that's a blessing, but how much better if we believe it for, before? <clears throat> In Luke 2, 46, there's a story that took on new meaning for me in studying for this sermon. Luke 2.46 says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So the parents of Jesus started home from one of the big celebrations down there in Jerusalem, and they weren't paying attention that Jesus was not with them. And it wasn't until they were getting ready for the evening meal that Jesus wasn't helping them like he usually did. And they began to wake up. He wasn't with them. And so they started looking. But it took them three days to find him. Could it be that this story was also to be a prophecy, just like the prophecy of Jonah, that people would understand, you're going to lose sight of Jesus for three days, but he's coming back in three days. It's only going to be gone for three days, and then you're going to see him. I, I can't guarantee that, but I thought it might be true. In Mark 8, 31, and he began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So now Jesus addresses his disciples directly and he comes out even plainer that I'm going to be gone from you for three days. They didn't get it. They didn't get it until after he was resurrected again, and then they got it. And so we need to really pray that we'll get some things. You know, I'm really worried about how little is being said in regard to the significance of what's happened. We have almost in 
entire uh, focus on what we need to do as a people to protect ourselves and protect each other and so on. But almost nothing about what the significance of this is for the end time. There's a few voices out there, but there's precious little. And I had a discussion on Friday and, you know, nothing came up. So finally I had to speak up and say, you know, this is a warning that the Sunday law is not going to be very far off. And uh, the way we're being treated right now is going to intensify when the Sunday law is coming. And it's if we can't stand up against the situation now, how will we be able to stand up then? And it was kind of a unwelcome message <laughs> that I gave. But <clears throat> uh, if you haven't watched uh, Doug Batchelor <clears throat> on a uh, Friday, one of his Friday evening meetings, you ought to do that because uh, he quoted from 10 to 15 different uh, sources that they have learned something from this lockdown. And that is that it is helping to save the, the, uh, the global warming. And so it's clicking in their mind. If we rested every Sunday, if everybody, if all the stores were closed, everything was shut down on Sunday, except uh, church, then we could save this planet. Well, that's what the Pope has been saying. That's what Greta Thunberg has been saying. And the young people have been flocking to her by the millions and what she's asking for. And so you can see that this whole thing was planned by the devil. I'm sure there were some humans that he worked through, but it was planned by the devil to launch the preparation for the Sunday law and to get people in a mood where they would accept the Sunday law. <coughs> so let's not be like those disciples and, and come up to it blinded and we don't find out until afterward that, oh, God was trying to warn us about something here. Well, even though the priest uh, made believe they didn't uh, listen very well, they did. Because when we go to Matthew 27, verses 62 to 64, it says, Now the next day that followed the day of preparation. Now, what, what day is that? What day is the one following the preparation day? Sabbath. So they were willing to break the Sabbath to uh, try to get Jesus or try to keep him in the grave. Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate. And by the way, that Sabbath was a high day. It wasn't just any Sabbath as important as the weekly Sabbath is. That Sabbath was Passover Sabbath, one of them. And so it was, it was a double Sabbath. And here they are breaking the Sabbath, going over to the political office 
and requesting uh, something from Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Now this seems to indicate they knew he wasn't talking about the temple, but they did that to try to derail the people. And you know, pastors are going to do that in regard to Sunday worship. They're going to say things that they don't even believe in their own heart to stop their members from keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath, just like the Jews did. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. Now, here again, it leaves a little cloud. Well, did they really understand or didn't they? But were they just not taking any chances at all? But nonetheless, uh, they wanted to make sure for three days it was safe. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Well, of course, Pilate cooperated with them and sent the guard out. But we're told that the devil can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. And so because there was a guard, we had 40 soldiers that could testify he was risen that wouldn't have existed if they hadn't put the guard out there. In Mark 14, 57 and 8, And there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple, that is made with hands. Now, wait a minute. He didn't say that. So they are twisting what Jesus said to make it sound like he was talking about the temple. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Well, we know that that big stone in the book of Daniel was going to strike the feet of the image and was going to fill the whole earth. Uh, so he could do that, but obviously he didn't mean that. So as we look at this text, we see that even in, during his trial, a false witness was brought that twisted what he said. And there's going to be and is a lot of twisting of things that Jesus said while he was on earth to keep people from seeing the truth. It's a real a warning. In Mark 15, 29 and 30, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, uh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. And so, isn't it amazing how this one little illustration from the book of Jonah was taken by Jesus and it was understood to some degree or other 
by everybody that there's a special significance to this three days. And they're thinking, well, Jesus, how are you going to fulfill that prophecy now? If you don't come down from the cross, how are you going to fulfill it? But in staying on the cross, he was fulfilling the very uh, promise that was made. And then when it came time for the early church to preach, Acts 10.40, him, God raised up the third day and showed him openly. So they could preach this prophecy with power now that Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days and he came out of the grave and that's why we know he's the Messiah because he came out in three days. Here's a little interesting statement. Desarvages 406. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, Christ was to be the same time but notice the part it quotes, in the heart of the earth. Many people get tripped up because they don't figure out how he could have been uh, buried for three days and three nights. But if you stop to think about it, that's not really the message that's being given. Although he was, you know, parts of three days. He was in the grave part of Friday. He was in the grave all day Sabbath. The rest day, he rested all day Sabbath. It's the only full day that he was in the tomb. And then he came up Sunday morning about dawn. And of course, if you understand, they figured their days from sundown to sundown. Then he was uh, in the grave part of Sunday too. But it's not talking about that. If you think about the life of Jesus while he was on earth, and you think about the fact that within the first six months, they wanted to kill him. And they tried over and over again to kill him, one way or another. They tried to push him off the cliff in his hometown, but he disappeared and went through the crowd. Jesus was not at the mercy of his followers, or I mean, not his followers, but he was not at the mercy of the wicked during the entire period up till the three, and a, three days. But during those three days, starting when he was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did nothing to relieve himself. He did nothing to deliver himself from the wicked, and he let the wicked do everything and anything they wanted to do until the resurrection. And when he was resurrected, they, that was over. They couldn't do a thing to him anymore once he was resurrected. So for three days, he was at the mercy of the wicked in the heart of the earth, part of which he was in the grave. <coughs> in Mark 16, verses 5 and 6, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, 
which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Now this became one of the greatest messages of the early Christian church. He is risen. We could look at all of the world religions other than Christianity. And of course today Christianity is not very pure, generally speaking. It does not follow the Bible well and it's not very pure. But Christianity in general <clears throat> claims to believe in a leader that led on earth but was resurrected. No other religion can claim that that kind of a leader. And it is because of that leader that our religion is superior to every religion on planet earth. We serve a risen savior. There's one of my favorite songs that's not in the, either of the hymnals, but I, I love the tune as well as the words. It's called, Up From the Grave He Arose. Now I got this off the internet and I think they tampered with some of the words, but I didn't have time to try to find it in a, one of our books. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus, my Savior, <clears throat> waiting the coming day, Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. That's the part I think they changed. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And the other two verses are very short, but that chorus is, that's, that's what I love to hear that chorus. Uh, vainly they watched his bed, Jesus, my Savior. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus, my Lord. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Paul especially preached the resurrection, and in Acts 17, verses 2 and 3, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. <clears throat> now many claim that the early church kept Sunday, but they have to ignore a lot of evidence. And here's one of them. Paul was in the habit of keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath. He didn't change because he became a Christian. And he kept in this place three different Sabbath days. <coughs> and what was one of the subjects that he was teaching? 
says opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And so Paul used the resurrection of Jesus, and no doubt he explained about Jonah, the sign of Jonah, how that he would be in the heart of the earth for three days, and then he would come out of the grave, and that prophecy was fulfilled, and therefore we know that he was the Messiah. It's uh, mentioned again in Romans 8:34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also take or maketh intercession for us. So we had a real good study at prayer meeting about Jesus' intercessory work. And here we have uh, an additional dimension telling us what Jesus is doing once he was resurrected, that he ascended after those 40 days up to heaven. For 10 days, he was confirmed in his position. And when the 50th day came, Pentecost took place. And it was a signal to earth. Jesus has been installed now as our intercessor in heaven. Why? Because Jesus' death did not finish the salvation issue. It was the platform that it could be built on, but it was not finished. The blood that was shed had to be pled before the Father. And so he says, yes, he was risen, but he went to heaven because he intercedes for us in heaven. He makes quite a deal about the resurrection here in 1 Corinthians 15, and we won't cover it all, but it says uh, in verse 12 and onward, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He said, Why? Why are you saying there's no resurrection? Jesus was resurrected. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain? And your faith is also vain. So he's saying, well, if there is no such as thing as resurrection, you know, then what do you have to look forward to? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. So we've been talking about the resurrection, and if there's no resurrection, then we've been telling you a lie. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Kind of, Paul, is a little difficult to follow. But uh, he's saying, if, if what you say is true, then <clears throat> it means that really Jesus didn't come out of the grave. For the if the dead rise not, then is not Christ 
raised. Going on, it says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now, to some degree, that's not true. The Christian life is the happiest way of life. It's the best way of life, even if this life is all we had. But, as many in the Bible have testified, their life was full of sorrow and struggle and problems. And so he's, he's referring to that, and he's saying, if this is all we get, living in a world of sin and all the troubles that come upon us in this world, if that's all we get, it's a pretty miserable situation. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Interesting uh, lesson that he draws from this that <clears throat> Adam sinned, and as a result, he made everybody else born on planet Earth a sinner. Tremendous impact. He caused the whole human race to die first death. He's not talking about second death here. He caused the entire human race, except for those that are alive when Jesus comes, and a couple of people that got translated, but <clears throat> he said they, uh, all of them were going to go in the grave. However, because one man, Jesus, came out of the grave, potentially every single person could come out of the grave. And they will, but there's two separate resurrections. And the ones that come up in the second resurrection, it's not to, it's to go into hellfire, but... Uh, because of what Jesus did in coming out of the grave, everybody is going to come out of the grave. Powerful reversal of what Adam did. And uh, God wants us to be looking forward to the resurrection, not the second one, but to the first one. That's the one that we want to be in. There's one more lesson we'll close with from Romans 6, verses 3 to 5. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into this death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So Paul takes the death and resurrection of Jesus and uses it in a spiritual, uh, to give a spiritual message. He said, when you get baptized, you die to your old self. You, and when you come out of the water, 
you are, it's like you've been resurrected from the dead. You're a brand new being. And, you know, some people just go into the water and come up the same. But that's not a good baptism. What we want is the one he describes here. That when we go under the water, self dies. And when we come up, Christ lives in us. And we have been resurrected, as it were, from the dead. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, even as we think about this situation, I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful by this, but it appears to me that Seventh-day Adventists have a lot more fear than what they ought to be having over this COVID-19. If we have had that happen, either at our baptism or at some other time, so that we know that we have been resurrected spiritually, we, are, we have Christ in us. Death is not a scary thing. It does not have to be scary. If it so be that we die, so what? It's not a big deal. Also, if we die and we're going to come up in the resurrection, the first resurrection, it's not a big deal. Why do we have to be filled with so much fear? I believe that God is testing us. If we're going to be afraid now, what's going to happen when the Sunday law comes along? 